You are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good show for you today. We're going to talk about the Vanessa Bryant settling her case with the police department. Such a disturbing story, but we did talk about this back in the day when she was in court. It has been settled. Get to that. We're going to talk about the Mavericks game last night. I did attend, so I am a little bit late tonight recording these. It's almost 1 o'clock in the morning now, Central Time. As I'm recording this, I just finished up the Daily Roundup. We'll be up at normal times, but tell you about my Mavericks experience, who I went with, which then leads into another topic, which is college basketball, an update on the Live Tour, and more on Major League Baseball and the times of the games recently. I didn't get into it yesterday. I teased it in the open. It happens a lot. I'll say something in the open, then I completely forget to get to it, and that's my mistake, but I'll talk about it today. We'll get to that momentarily. So the first story is that Vanessa Bryant has settled her remaining claims with the Los Angeles County for $28 million over photos that the deputies were sharing after the crash that killed Kobe and their daughter, Gianna. Um, The settlement included the $15 million a jury already awarded Vanessa Bryant after a trial in federal court in August of 2022. Look, the money's not the issue here. Vanessa Bryant doesn't need... $28 $28 million. She's not hurting for money. She's set for life. Her kids are set for life. Their kids, kids, kids are set for life. That's not what's at stake here, and that's not why this was brought to court so Vanessa Bryant can get some more money. This was a disgusting, despicable act that I cannot believe. Well, you know what? When it comes to cops, I'm not going to say I can't believe certain behaviors. But to take a picture and to share it amongst your boys of, I don't even want to know what that picture looked like. I know it was up on the internet for a while. I hope none of you tried to search those. Because if you do, you are basically slapping Vanessa Bryant in the face. I wouldn't even think to even, ugh, the fact those people did that, and the, I, I hope, see, all this says is she got money out of it. They settled. I hope, and maybe it is out there and I just haven't read a story about it. I hope those cops lost their job. They should not be protecting our cities if that's what they choose to do when finding out Kobe Bryant's in a helicopter crash. Not only let's take pictures of it, let's pass it around to the guys who aren't here and can't see it. How sick of a human being do you have to be to do that? I'll wait until eternity for you to come up with an answer because I don't think you can. So while I'm happy she won the case, as far as I know, all those things have been scrubbed from the Internet. Clearly, when they were up, somebody could have screenshot them and had them in their phone, and there is somebody probably out there or multiple people that actually – have seen it and still have those pictures somewhere, and they're just not stupid enough to post it on the Internet. But to say that they haven't passed it around to their friends, uh, that would be naive of me to say that. But, my gosh, what a horrible story. The fact that she had to relive that, knowing that people did that and took pictures of a helicopter crash. Oh, God, it's frustrating. Moving on to better 
more positive stories. I went to the Dallas Mavericks game last night against the Indiana Pacers. I had a buddy who was in town. He was the play-by-play guy. As you know, I attended Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles. He was a year ahead of me at LMU, and he was in town for business. We went to the game and, you know, talked a lot of college basketball back in the day and shit that went on. Good guy. And remember, when I started the Sports Daily podcast, my whole goal was let me get my feet wet. Let me do a few months of shows, and then my goal was on Fridays I was going to try and have a guest on Fridays just to talk sports or just even a buddy of mine. Because like I said, this is a passion project. This is not making me a lot of money. It's maybe making me 10%, well, less than that, about 7% of my total podcast income is coming from the Sports Daily. It's mostly coming from the Reality Steve Daily Roundup and the weekly show. But... So it's always been a passion project of mine, and I have no problem putting on people that you've never heard of, even my friends, on just on a Friday show and to talk sports. But they're they're people that are knowledgeable about sports. There will be people that I've worked with in the past in sports radio, people that I'm going to reach out to that work in media and just want to, you know, have them on for a Friday show because sometimes heading into Fridays, content is really light. Now, these next few weekends probably won't be because we're in the thick of conference tournament time and March Madness and all that stuff. So um, I want to – anyway, so we're talking college basketball, and this was a guy that was the play-by-play guy the year before I was at LMU. And we're just – we're talking about it, and we're talking about how bad LMU has been. They have not been to the tournament since 1990, and if you're a college basketball fan, you know the story of Loyola Marymount University. Hank Gathers, Bo Kimball. Led the nation in scoring. Hank Gathers died on the court in the first round of the WCC tournament. They decided to keep playing. They made a run to the Elite Eight, ultimately losing to UNLV, who won the national championship that year. But it got me to thinking about college basketball, and I'm a huge fan of college basketball. Anybody that's listened to this podcast over the last two months that I've been doing it is very well aware. I love talking college basketball. I love gambling on it. (laughs) But something that's always intrigued me, And one of these days, I'm going to bring on a former host that I used to work with. Hopefully, I can get him on. I haven't talked to him in 15 years. But if I can reach out on social media and get him on, I know this is something that he has always brought up. And we kind of brought it up together when we used to host shows back in the days. But I've never understood why nobody right now, Division I basketball, I think has 351 teams. It might be up to 360. It's something ridiculous. There's over 350 teams in Division I college basketball. And ever since Paul Westhead ran his system at LMU and then one season after him, Jay Hillock took over when Westhead went to go coach the Denver Nuggets and the pros. One thing I've never understood about college basketball is how come no school in all of America in 33 years since LMU did this has decided to run that type of offense? I'm not talking about an up-tempo offense. We have teams in college basketball that run up-tempo. What Loyola Marymount did is something that just was not seen and has not been seen since 1990. And that is basically they are going to be in better shape than you. And their goal is to wear you out. They're going to press full court the whole game. They're not going to play much defense. If you get through their press, they're basically going to give up a layup. But coming back down the court, they're going to put up a shot within eight seconds. 
This is a team that led the nation in scoring at like 115, 116 points a game. It might have even been 118 one year. You know, Gonzaga led the nation in scoring this year and leads the nation in scoring this year. They're averaging like 85 a game, which is, okay, good amount. 40-minute game, 85 points, okay. LMU put up 30 more than that on average a game. Normally they were in the 120s and 130s every game because it was just a track meet. And you might say, well, that's not great basketball. That's not real basketball. It's almost like the all-star game in the NBA. Um, No, it was way more exciting than that because the other team certainly was trying. And LMU would press. They were playing defense. But if you broke their press, they were fine with giving up a layup because they were going to take the ball right out of the basket and run right down the court and score on you before you even turned around. And I just can't understand. Do I expect some places like you know UCLA, Duke, Kentucky to do this? No. I'm talking about a program like Loyola Marymount who, let's face it, they've never been to the tournament since. 33 years this team has not made the tournament, and only nine years now they have a winning record this year. They're going to finish with a winning record. This is only the ninth time since Paul Westhead left that program that LMU basketball has had a winning record. Why wouldn't any mid-major try this again? It would generate fan interest. It's fun to watch. I'm guessing you could get some kids to go play there where it's just like, really? I just get to run up and down and chuck three-pointers up the whole game? We know that's what college basketball has become now and basketball in general. It's an outside game. You don't need big men. You got a couple 6'8", 6'9", guys, fine. You don't need a 7'3", guy that you have to stand there at the post and dump it into him. Just get a bunch of athletic guys who run up and down the court. You play about 10 to 12 guys a game. You press all around. It just makes no sense why nobody's even tried it. Like, I could understand if a bunch of colleges started trying this and they just couldn't replicate the success of LMU, which was great for a mid-major program, and they absolutely are considered a mid-major. They are not a Division I powerhouse. It, It boggles my mind to this day why no school will adopt that and just try it. Bring in a coach who is either a disciple of Westhead or who studied Westhead and those LMU teams and say, this is what we're going to do. This is the type of player I'm going to recruit. Guys who can shoot the lights out, guys who hustle their ass off, guys who aren't going to whine and complain. We are going to be the best conditioned team in all of college basketball, and I don't care who we go up against, we are going to score on them because they are not going to be able to keep up with our conditioning. And that's how LMU did. That's how they did it. They were better than everybody else conditioning-wise. Did they have some good players? Absolutely. Jeff Fryer, one of the greatest shooters in college basketball history, hits 11 three-pointers in a NCAA tournament game against defending national championship national champion Michigan. They beat them 149-115, one of the <laughs> – one of the greatest games in college basketball tournament history. Obviously, Bo Kimball got drafted in the NBA, didn't have much of a career, but was averaging 30 a game in college. Just a bunch of guys, right time, right place, great system. I just don't know why any coach has not adopted that. It's made no sense to me in 33 years. Not one program out of 360 is like, look, we, we suck every year, or we're basically, you know, 13 and 17 every year. We're going nowhere. Our fans don't really care. Let's shake it up a bit. Like, you can't tell me there's a program in America that can't benefit from that. But nobody's done it in 33 years. Makes no sense. Moving on. Yesterday, I was talking about Live Golf, and I was talking about how bad they were, and their ratings were terrible, and I said they got a .2 rating on the CW. My mistake. They got a .18. And 
a lot of CW affiliates in major cities chose to not even show them. They don't even care. And if you watched any of it, I've seen clips. Golf is an individual sport. And I'm sorry, but putting these guys on teams does nothing for me as a viewer. Nothing. I don't know what they're trying to accomplish by this other than they really do think. Greg Norman, who is the head of this thing, really, really, really thinks that they are going to become the thing in golf. And people are just going to, I don't know, stop watching the PGA or they're going to eventually just take every PGA golfer and put them on their tour. I'm sorry, guys like Justin Thomas and John Rahm and Rory McIlroy are not going over to the Live Tour to play three-day tournaments where you got music blaring in the background and you're on teams called the Sharks and the Vipers. Like, what are we doing? This is so stupid. And like I said, I understand why they went over there. It's free money. They're giving you money just to go play on their shitty tour and a lot of money, hundreds of millions of dollars, reportedly 200 million for Phil Mickelson just to go play on that tour. And he stinks. He doesn't stink. He's just not the Phil from the past, obviously. But Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau rumored to be getting over a million, hundred million dollars each just to go over there. That's why they made the move for the money. So I get it somewhat. I get it for guys that were never go, were ever going to win on the PGA Tour again. That makes sense to me. Guys like Bryson, guys like DJ, guys like Brooks, I don't know why they went over there. Don't you have any competitive juice in your body to want to compete against the best every week? I, I don't. I don't know. I'll never get it. I really won't. little baseball to talk here. Unfortunately... My team, the Dodgers, lost their starting shortstop for the year as Gavin Lux blew out his ACL running the third base the other day. It was bad. If you saw the highlight, you probably knew what happened to him the second he went down because all he did was plant on his leg and the thing went bloop and it went one way and that was not good. Grabbed his knee as he hit the third base bag and that was all she wrote. It was pretty obvious he had blown out his ACL. You were hoping for maybe you know, a meniscus tear or something like that, or maybe it wasn't as severe and it wasn't fully torn, but nope, torn ACL, Gavin Lux, out for the year for the Dodgers, and they were really going to depend on him as they were moving him as to the full-time shortstop position because Trey Turner had signed with the Phillies in the offseason. So bad blow for the Dodgers. You got the Padres, who spent a gazillion, bazillion dollars this offseason, you know, they re-upped you, Darvish. They signed Manny Machado to a $350 million extension. They gave $280 million to Xander Bogarts to play shortstop. We know that they also gave Joe Musgrove a $100 million contract last year. Juan Soto, I don't know if they're going to re-up him next year when he's a free agent, or maybe it's in two years, but he got $25 million in arbitration. I mean, they are just paying up the wazoo for players they're like Yankees West or old Yankees West. The Yankees don't really do that anymore. But they're going to be the Dodgers' most formidable opponent in the NL West. I think the Dodgers have won the NL West nine of the last ten years, I believe. And the year that they didn't win it, they won 105 games. No, 106. They lost out to the Giants, um, who won 107 that year. That was two years ago. Yeah. 
So here we are looking at this, and it sucks as a Dodger fan, but I know that their core is still intact, and I, I really I, I do have confidence in this year's Dodger team. But moving on to the spring training and the talk of spring training, which is the time of the games, these were some of the games in recent days that, you know, last year I told you it was either 3.03 or 3.06. It was either 3 hours and 3 minutes or 3 hours and 6 minutes was the average time of a Major League Baseball game in 2022. So the reason that they said, all right, we got to get rid of the shift and we got to get at a pitch clock because it's just taking too long. Pitchers are taking their sweet-ass time on the mound. It's embarrassing. It's taking forever. People are getting bored. Well, I think Major League Baseball thought we're going to knock probably 15 minutes off games. I don't know what the average is so far in exhibition baseball preseason, but it's way more than 15 minutes. These are some of the times on five games that were played in recent days. 219, 224, 211, 204, 223. So even if you mix in a three-hour game with those times, which there's been a couple, but there was like an 18-to-5 game that took three hours and three minutes. Sometimes the Yankees and Red Sox in recent years played a nine-inning game that was four to three that took three and a half hours because of all the pitching changes and all the stepping off the mound and all this stuff. Ridiculous. 211, 204, 219, 7 nothing, 3 nothing, 4 1. So, what I've noticed so far, so you don't have to go look, is if you get a game that's averaging six to nine runs a game, it's going to be between 205 and probably 225, anywhere in that range, if you get six to nine runs a game. If you get a 2 nothing game or whatever, it's definitely probably going to be under 210, 215 at the most. You're just not going to get a 2 nothing, 3 nothing game that goes three hours anymore. And there have been those in the past. So I've noticed also that with the shift, now you can't do that on defense. Offenses have been up. I don't know the full numbers. It's, we've only had – I mean, spring, spring training started on Friday. There's only been five days of games. But I have noticed some big scores. But those big scores, those games are lasting 245, 250, 255. And these are like 13 to 5 finals. So I'd be be interested to see someone break this down. Anywhere between 6 and 10 runs scored in a game, what those time of games are averaging. And then between 10 and 15 runs a game, how many, how long those games are averaging. And then, you know, 16 to 20. And then anything over 20. It'd be interesting to break it down that way. But I I said it the other day, and I'll say it again. People do not realize how much baseball is now changing right before our very eyes. We have known one way since we were born, and that is no pitch clock, at least in the majors. They've had it in the minors. That's why they're bringing it to the majors because it's been successful and has knocked 15 to 20 minutes off games down there. Well, shit, some of these are being... <laughs> They're knocking 45 minutes off some of these games. 40 minutes. Long gone are the days where you're showing up to a baseball game in the th- you know what normally would have been the third inning. Say first pitch is at 7:05 and you're showing up at 7:30. You might be in inning four by then. You know, missing 30 minutes of a game. And you know, I 
obviously there's different things that cause people to come late to games, traffic or whatever, but this is going to, and it is, fundamentally changing the game of baseball as we know it. And I think it's great for the game, and I can't wait to watch it out more so in regular season action. So thank you very much uh, for listening to this. Please rate, subscribe, and review an Apple podcast. It is much appreciated. We are back tomorrow with yet another Sports Daily. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you!